Hi. Hello and welcome. <laughs> to episode... Uh, 34. 65, maybe? Well, that's an odd number and way too high. So. Uh, but I was going to fuck it up anyway. Wrong. So. <laughs> 65, maybe. No, it's episode 34. I know because it's my episode. It's an even number. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're back. Just Alex and I today. No special guests. Rip. Oh, well. Can't have special guests every week. If we have special guests every week, it's no longer special. That's just called a, another host. <laughs> it was fun, though. It was. Thanks for telling us all about the Library of Alexandria. You're welcome. Thank you for sitting through all of my mispronunciations of uh, Greek names. I don't think I'll have any mispronunciations today. I'm actually pretty proud. I think I know how to say all these things correctly. There might be one or two, but... <laughs> I mean, it's not an episode unless we got at least one or two. So, I guess. Any old news? Uh, not really. I don't think so. It feels like it's been six years since we've recorded an episode. It really does. It's we were talking about this at dinner tonight. Yeah. It's been a week, but it was a long week. It was a very long <laughs> week, and I'm sick again because, of course, I am. Yeah. Okay, what's that like? Going out in public, dealing with people? Ugh, the I worst. know. Well, uh, okay. So, <laughs> Curtis came to work one day this week. And he had a cold, I'm pretty sure, and he gave it to me. <laughs> he saw him <laughs> for like 20 minutes. His one day. <laughs> so I Curtis, think you're just it's susceptible. Susceptible? Yeah, you're susceptible. Also, your child goes to daycare and she has a runny nose and whatnot. So Exactly. I don't have a runny nose. I'm fine. Well, wait for it. It's I coming. Know. It's probably coming. But I've been really happy that I've not been sick for a while. Like, I feel like ever since we had the child, it's I've just been sick constantly. And Knock now on I'm, wood right now. Uh, there's none within reach. So. There is literally three wood things within your reach. It's Ikea wood, though, so how much is it actually wood? I it's mean, like it's card. Wood. It's like shredded and compressed cardboard. Which is also made out of wood. No, Just it's not. Knock it's it. paper. God damn it. Thank you. There you go. Um, yeah, so hopefully I don't get sick. I probably will, but we'll see. Hopefully not too bad. Did you know that the knocking on wood phenomenon comes from... When people used to think that there were fairies in the trees, so that they like they would knock on the trees for good luck to I awaken the wood fairies. I didn't know that. How come it wasn't like kick the water for the water fairies? Because <laughs> that's mean. <laughs> Knocking okay. on wood isn't. Uh. It? <laughs> Spit into the sky for the cloud fairies. Anyway, we're not talking about fairies today. Uh, I just thought that on Pinterest or something. Yeah, you know what I don't like? Here's a, here's a real quick, you know, it grinds my gears. Anytime anyone sends me anything on Pinterest, Pinterest is like, oh, you want to look at that? Make an account. And you I'm like, should. What if I just want to look at this one thing? And it's like, nope, make an account. If Pinterest didn't exist, I'd have no dreams. Mm. Yeah, Pinterest has done a little bit for us. I think that's where you found our wedding cake design, right? Yeah. So that was good. And it helped me write like our wedding. That was where I looked to write the script for it. For oh, the, for the vows and stuff? Yeah. For Andy to speak? Yeah. You should see if she listens to this podcast. I don't think she does. Well, you should probably let her know. <laughs> we need more listeners. Okay. Do we? Yeah. We're up almost 900 listens now total. Really? Uh, yeah. I'm going to check that The almost. podcast on uh, YouTube has fallen Fallen from grace, <laughs> it like skyrocketed <laughs> when it first hit YouTube, and now it's like 
I mean, it gets like a couple of views here and there, but you know, we really need people to go out there and like and subscribe all those videos on YouTube. That'd be really neat. Like, share, subscribe. <laughs> Mash that like button. <laughs> Pumble that subscribe button. Ring the bell. Ring the bell so you know when an episode goes live. Although, usually the podcast feed is usually live first or it's at least available first before the YouTube feed is because I'm lazy and I have to do all the YouTube stuff the next morning. We could do the podcast on YouTube live and then just upload that to Anchor the next day. Nope. <laughs> okay. Definitely don't want to do it live. Uh, okay. So if that's it, we should probably just get into the episode. You know, I'm kind of done talking about like, this might be a short episode. This might be a long episode. I don't know. I just wrote some notes and I'm going to read them and tell you a story. This is my story. <laughs> <laughs> Scar tissue and all. Right. This is, um, it's going to be kind of a, well, I'll just get into it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we'll start in 1917 in Europe. What's going on in Europe in 1917? Some shit. <laughs> also known as? Uh, World War One. Yeah. Also known as the Great War. Something, something. Make poor. I don't know. I can't <laughs> forget. I forget what Sabaton says in that song. Marching on. <laughs> uh, yeah. So 1917 in Europe. Uh, continents held hostage. Held in a death grip that is World War One. Uh, I'm not going to go over how the war started because everyone already knows that. Wait, though. What? <laughs> I swear to God, if you're doing what I think you're doing or what I have a little hint of what you're doing, I'm going to kill you. Why? Because I was going to do it next episode. Oh, that's interesting. I don't think I'm doing what you're doing. Is I... it a Sabaton song? No. No. Oh. <laughs> Neither is mine. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> hint everyone go look up sabotage songs or go see all the songs about world war one I. I think i know which one it is um anyway they're all about world war one what do you they're mean? not only the most recent album they're not all about world war one hello like 90 percent of their songs are about world war one no they're not <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> go listen to the, any album that's not the great war but that's the good one the Last Stand is the good one. No. Well, uh, okay. What's your story? Anyway, we're not talking about that. I'm, and like I said, I'm not going over how the war started because this is three years after the war started. So I, you know. And nobody knows anyway. So. I said everyone already knows. False. The band Franz Ferdinand got shot and then he, <laughs> they declared war on everybody. Because, uh, fuck that guy. Nobody, like why? It, it doesn't matter. Keep going. Anyway. Go listen to Dan Carlin's uh, no. six-episode miniseries called uh, Blueprints, Blueprint to Armageddon. Called the longest podcast of your life. They're all seven hours long. Yeah, each one's like five to six hours. But it, if you really want to know all about World War One and what led up to it and what took place during it and the aftermath, it's a great, it's a great listen. Find that at HardcoreHistory.com. No free plugs. No free ads. Uh, Dan Carlin, expect a bill from us in the mail. Okay, so it's nineteen seventeen. We're in Europe. I'm not going to talk about the beginning of the war, but I'm going to talk about this specific part of the war. So uh, let's talk really quickly about what's going on in Germany. Germany being part of the uh, the detente, I guess is the what? the name of it. 
<laughs> I think that's the name. I really should know this. It's the name of the group of the what you would what most people would call the bad guys of World War One. The Nazis? No. It's World War One. Nazis run around to World War Two. Fuck, I get those two confused. <laughs> Uh, actually, though, so... History podcast, it's fine. Germany's one of the main antagonists of World War One, and the Second Reich is in power. Third Reich's in power during World War Two. Uh, yeah. Those knuckleheads. Uh, those real knuckleheads. Real screwballs, those, that Second Reich. Anyway, the war starts in 1914, but by 1917, the war is kind of old news for the citizens of Europe. Like, they've been doing this for three years now. It's not anything new, really. Major battles of the Somme and Verdun, both um, battles that you've heard of. Have, overdone. <laughs> they've been fought and both caused huge numbers of casualties for the Germans, French, and British forces. Uh, by 1918, the United States will have joined the war and Germany will be staring defeat right in its face. Because much like World War II, once you wake the sleeping giant, America comes in and has to clean up all of England or Britain's and France's problems. America, hell yeah. <laughs> the police of the world. Uh, so, yeah, 1918, the United States joins the war. Germany looks defeat in the face and poorly attempts one final offensive push in what is called the Spring Offensive to win the war. But that's 19, 1918. Our story takes place at the beginning of 1917. Okay. I just wanted to give you some kind of lead up. So... At this time, the war seems winnable in Germany's eyes. Like, they're actually making some pretty decent progress in what they want. They're taking over territory in France. They, they're trying to knock Britain out of the war. And Britain and, and France are suffering millions upon millions of casualties. I mean, so is Germany, but they're, Germany's a powerhouse at this point. So, Germany knew... Germany had a, an idea anyway that uh, the United States was going to be entering the war soon. Call it a, like a hunch. <laughs> so they're winning, but they know the U.S. is probably going to enter soon. Then Germany knows this because they are about to start up what's called unrestricted submarine warfare uh, for the second time. Do you know what un unrestricted submarine warfare is? I think it has to do with water mm -hmm. and things that are under it. Sure. Submarines. <laughs> Which literally means underwater. Sub meaning under marine meaning water. Unrestricted? I'm guessing uh, they're just uh, not restricted. <laughs> I have no idea. Really good job. So... <laughs> Germany has been using unrestricted submarine warfare, had been using it since 1915, in which it stopped following what were known as cruiser rules. These rules basically said merchant ships such as tankers and freighters could be sunk, but not without warning and not without giving the crews a chance to disembark, thus saving lives. So you can't just, like, if, if it's not a military ship, you can't just run around and sink them without giving them a chance to, like, preserve lives and stuff like you can sink them but you got to give them a chance to to escape it's a good rule yeah it's, it keeps civilians from being killed well germany's like fuck that we're not about that <laughs> our 
favorite thing is killing. Well, so one of the thing is one of the things is Britain starts really Britain starts uh, they start hiding guns on like guns ship guns on civilian ships on merchant ships and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So really, Germany was kind of just going well you guys are hiding guns on merchant ships anyway so that is a warship but they weren't painting the ships to look like warships um it's a real catch-22 there yeah so these rules stated also that submarines must surface prior to attacking which kind of what's the point of having a submarine if you have to show yourself right like the whole point of a submarine is that if when a ship gets attacked it doesn't know where it came from because you're just underwater. I mean, I guess, but like, what are you going to do? What do you mean? Like, you can't hide behind an island. The ship's already, like, the submarine's already there. There's <laughs> no, like, scurrying away in your gigantic Well, tanker. right, but it's still, the whole thing is, like, you're not supposed to take it by surprise. Like, the crew that's of the ship that's being attacked is not supposed to be, this isn't supposed to be a surprise attack. Like, they're supposed to know, like, okay, we'll surrender. You can blow up our ship. But let us get in our rowboats and and save ourselves. Yeah. I mean, it's called chivalry. Look it up. Right. So where do these rules come from? Well, they come from the 1899 Hague Convention put on by Tsar Nicholas. We know him. Mm -hmm. So he essentially goes, hey, (laughs) there was a Geneva. You've heard of the Geneva Convention? Yes. So that was in like 1840. It was like 1840-something, I think. Um, and this is kind of just like springboarding off the Geneva Convention. So they, at this Hague Convention put on by the ruler of Russia, he's like, hey, powers of the world, why don't we all hang out at my on my birthday? It was on his birthday. And he go, and he's like, why don't we decide on some like rules of war? And that's what they did. Like They got a bunch of superpowers together, United States being one of them, and they decided on the rules of war. So one of these rules was you can't sink merchant ships. Like you have to, if you're going to have a, a ship in the water that's not a merchant ship, it has to be painted to look like, uh, it has to look like a military ship. So there's like a specific color. It's got to have your flag on it somewhere. It's got to have, they, if you go and read the document, it says like, it's got to be like one and a half meters, like has to have a line in the middle of it. That's like one and a half meters wide and, Blah, blah, blah. It has to go around the entire ship. So it stands out as like, this is a military ship. Shoot at me. <laughs> as opposed to, this is a merchant ship. Don't shoot at me. Right. So besides the... Uh, besides the submarine rules, some of the more notable rules include uh, humanely treating prisoners at war. Hey, like, if you take prisoners, don't, don't treat them like garbage. Uh, if it forbids the use of poisons... We know how Germany reacted to that later in the war. <laughs> right. Uh, it forbids the killing of surrendered enemies. And it also forces, it prevents forcing occupied people into military service against their own country. So you can't walk in, take over. Germany can't go to France, take a bunch of French people prisoner, and then force them to fight France. Or at least they shouldn't. I mean, they could, I suppose. But Yeah. I mean... I don't know how you would trust. I wouldn't trust. Like if I was a German soldier and I was, if there's a French guy next to me that was being forced to fight France, I wouldn't trust him with a gun. <laughs> how does that work for like civil wars? Can I don't mean draft people into a civil war. Don't know. I didn't read that deeply into it. It's very, very long, exhausting documents that 
But that goes through a lot of stuff, like very specifics. And there was another one in 19... After World War One, I, I think. Maybe 1910, maybe just before World War One, Where they talk about like... Red Cross ships and stuff, and Red Cr- and the Red Cross specifically, like you don't shoot at medics on the battlefield. That's where that stuff comes from. The white whale. What? That's what they called it. Oh, because it was a big white ship. They called it the with white a big whale. red cross on it. Yeah. So don't look at me like that. <laughs> well, you were like you said, yeah, with your mouth away from the microphone, Here's which we specifically talked about before we started recording. <laughs> Listen. I can't breathe out my nose right now, so I'm not just going to sit here in the microphone and be like, (sighs) (laughs) the whole time. I have to pull it away from my face so I can mouth breathe. All right, fine. Mouth breathers. I can't help it. Anyway, so these are the rules that they're not following. Unrestricted submarine warfare essentially meant exactly that. Submarines were to sink any vessels, military or not, because the ships could be moving supplies like food and munitions. The most famous case is? Uh, Titanic. No. That was an iceberg, not the Germans. (laughs) I don't fucking know. Lusitania. You've heard of Lusitania. I mean, that's basically the Titanic. Mm, Kind of. So Lusitania, British ocean liner that was carrying 173 tons of war munitions, tons, with a T. Wait, are you going to talk about the... Why don't you just wait and find <laughs> out what I'm going to talk about? Okay. So, Hunter carrying, was carrying 173 tons of, of war munitions. German U-boats sink it in about 15 minutes. <laughs> cool. They just hammer the hell out of it. Kills 1,198 passengers and crew. Due to this killing, Germany had stopped its use of unrestricted submarine warfare in hopes that it would keep the United States out of the war. Like, the U.S. is like, hey, man, you can't keep that up. Like, you killed almost 1,200 people on that boat. You gotta follow the rules, man. Did this all happen in Halifax, Nova Scotia? No. Oh. But that was, I mean, that was, those were supply shipments. Go back and listen to episode, uh, where you can find out more information about the Halifax explosion. But that was World War I. Those were supply ships. That's exactly what Germany didn't want. Is all these ships coming over from the United States, coming over from Canada, going to Britain and supplying them. It's kind of like what... I mean, I don't know how close the relationship... Like, how close the comparison is right now. But it's kind of like what we're doing with Ukraine right now. Like, America's not fighting Russia right now. But we are sending a lot of military supplies and stuff over there. <laughs> like... So are we fighting Russia? Eh, not really, but eh, kind of. We're like <laughs> it's like a war. It's like a war by proxy. Anyway, so that's what the United States and these other and Canada and stuff like that are doing. They're sending all these ships over to Britain and France, and Germany's like enough. So they sink the Lusitania, and then they're like, okay, fine, we'll stop. So they do stop. They stop for two years. Uh, so. Yeah, so it stops in hopes of keeping the United States out of the war. And if you're, I don't know if you kind of remember at the time, but any of that. I wasn't there. Well, no, I know. But like Woodrow Wilson kind of ran his election campaign. It like on that the United States is going to stay neutral. We are staying out of this war. We're not worried about what's going on in Europe. Let them figure it out. So the United States wants to stay neutral anyway. So Germany's like, okay, fine. We'll back off. You guys stay neutral. Stay out of the war. 
Because Germany's like, we could win this if the United States isn't involved. So, as I mentioned, Germany was about to start it up again, though. Like, at the beginning of 1917, Germany's like, yeah, Britain's still getting way too many munitions, way too many supplies. We got to start doing it again. So, all that's really backstory to what I actually want to talk about tonight. <laughs> oh, good. Let's get to the story. So, I, but it's important to set the scene and uh, it's important to kind of set up what's going on before what I want to talk about. So, we're going to be talking about the Zimmerman telegram. Have you ever heard of it? I've heard it. Okay. I couldn't tell you what it is. Yeah. So, as a war history fan, I've I've known about the Zimmerman telegram forever. Like, that's one of the first things I think I've ever learned ever, and I thought it was fascinating. Do you know you don't know anything about it? Uh, no. Okay. We'll say no. So, it's I've known like I said, I've known about it for a long time, but like most of the stories we talk about on here, I didn't know all the details surrounding it, which is why I thought it was important to include Kind of that backstory of what's going on. So, in short, the Zimmerman telegram is a proposal from Germany to the president of Mexico requesting that if the United States joins the war against Germany, Mexico will declare war on the United States. And I'm going to read you the full letter. It's not very long. Okay. The full letter goes as follows. Quote. Sieg Heil. Again, wrong war. <laughs> Quote. We intend to begin on the 1st of February unrestricted submarine warfare. We shall endeavor in spite of this to keep the United States of America neutral. In the event of this not succeeding, we make Mexico a proposal of alliance on the following basis. Make war together. Make peace together. Generous financial support and an understanding on our part that Mexico is to reconquer the lost territory in Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. The settlement in detail is left to you. You will inform the Mexican president, Carranza, of the above most secretly as soon as the outbreak of the war with the United States of America is certain, and add the suggestion that he should, on his own initiative, invite Japan to immediate adherence and at the same time mediate between Japan and ourselves. Please call the president's attention to the fact that the ruthless employment of our submarines now offers the prospect of compelling England in a few months to make peace. End quote. Signed, Zimmerman. So, let's break that all down just a little bit. Well, so, before we get into that, yes, I do remember this. Okay. From, like, I can see the little, like, square box map at the bottom of my world history textbook from, like, <laughs> senior year of high school. And then, like, Mexico is yellow and the territories that it wants, to, or that it was promised back are, like, red. And then the rest of it is just kind of gray. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what the, I, that's what that's I know like, about that's, So that the wording that you use is kind of interesting, right? So you said the the land that it's promised back. But according to this letter, and that's what I always thought too, like Germany was going to join Mexico and like help them reclaim their land. No. Germany's like, go do it yourself, but you can keep it. Like, <laughs> we're not helping you. We're going to help you financially. We're going to send you money. So that's key key number one. Key number two is that Mexico currently at this time is in a civil war itself. So the guy who Carranza is, he's only been president for a little bit because, huh? Costanza, is that the joke (laughs) you just made? You don't even like Seidfeld. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, George Costanza is the president of Mexico. And so he's he's only been president for a little bit because they've just overthrown the old president, which we'll we'll talk about him in a little bit, but so so from the top though, we'll break it down. So they tell him, hey, beginning in February, this is in January, they send him this letter. Beginning in February, we're going to start unrestricted warfare, unrestricted submarine warfare again, and it's probably going to pull America into the war. But uh, if that happens, we want you to declare war on the United States and start attacking them on their southern front because then they'll be split. The whole thing of don't fight a war on two fronts. Uh, Napoleon did it, lost. Hitler did it, lost. It's like it's a very not yet though. Apparently, <laughs> well, not yet uh what's his face napoleon has done it and lost but that's what germany's kind of probably looking at that going well if the united states is gonna declare war on us and they're gonna send troops over here well then they someone's got to protect the southern part of the united states so that's where they're like that's where you come in mexico go get them uh the second part of that is oh like i said so they don't promise them troops or anything they just say we'll send you money we'll give you money we'll help you supply we'll we'll help you supply yourselves to do it uh the third thing is that it says uh invite japan hey like you know as soon as you declare war on on america go go hit up japan see if you can get japan to go in on the war and then they can attack the united states from the west coast and all of a sudden like things are looking bad for the united states they got germany on their right mexico to the south they got japan on in the west like it's it's all kinds of bad so that's there that's the letter like that and that's germany's like this is germany's big plan sure getting mexico to declare war on the united states so on february 1st 1917 germany true to its word breaks the sussex pledge which is what it was called when germany originally called off its use of unrestricted submarines warfare and the united states was immediately furious the yeah. woodrow wilson is quoted going nah uh oh shit in response the united states completely severs diplomatic relations with germany and then something quite unexpected happens now understand at this point and uh one of my one of my favorite comedians eddie izzard has a great bit about this britain and to a lesser extent france they're dying to get the united states in on this war they're pleading come on guys you gotta come help us out like germany's kicking our ass like they're gonna win if you guys don't come help us out and woodrow wilson is like nope we're we're neutral we're not getting into it but they knew britain and france knew that if the u.s declared war on germany they stood a much better chance of winning and this is exactly what happens in world war ii as well again the united states doesn't want to enter the war and japan goes yeah but what if (laughs) (laughs) so who should decrypt this letter from zimmerman to mexico but none other than the british intelligence well and they go hey wait a minute this is interesting on february 24th the british with smiles as big as possible i'm sure gave a copy of the letter to the u.s ambassador at the time mr walter heinz page who then presented it to president wilson on March 1st, so about a week later, the press gets a hold of the letter and publishes it in every single newspaper in the United States and goes, look what Germany's trying to do. <laughs> Can you believe this shit? 
and people were pissed. <laughs> Americans didn't really like Germans or Mexicans at the time anyway. Like they didn't like Mexicans because they weren't. It's not that far removed from the Mexican-American War, sure. and I mean Germany's like people. Americans like British people and French people. Like they like British people now. I mean, at the time they liked the British because they were they they had been allies. But then they liked France because you know they helped us in the Revolutionary War and everything. Like we were good friends. Mexico could have sold that information to America and been way better off. Maybe. Amer- Mexico didn't like America, though. But they could have got that thing and been like, hey, look. Right, but... Here's what's going on. <laughs> what are you going to do for me about it? America would have been like, crush you like a bug if you say yes. What are you talking about? Like, that's America the thing. America could have been like, yo, Japan. <laughs> you talk about German hunting? Come on. Oh, we'll get to what Japan says about this letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so Americans are not happy. At first, people couldn't believe it. They were like, it's made up. And But on March 3rd, Zimmerman himself <laughs> does a press conference in Germany and goes, it's 100% true. He's like, uh-huh. <laughs> I, 100%, I 100% sent that letter. I'll send it again. <laughs> With that letter, figuratively in hand, the United States formally declares war on Germany in, on April 6, 1917. And the rest is history, as they say. Like, then we win. We being the United States. <laughs> right. So that's not the end of our story, though. I do want to give I want to give a little bit more background. Like that's ultimately what happens. They called it one of the greatest, probably the most important decryption of a note in World War One history, because without that note, maybe the United States, maybe Congress doesn't go. Yeah, we need to declare war on Germany even with the unrestricted war, uh, submarine warfare going on again. Wilson wanted them to, but Congress was like, I don't think so, man. I don't know. You said we were going to stay neutral. Stay neutral. But then when they saw this, they're like, oh, yeah, we got to do something about this. <laughs> like, they're, they're working against us, around us. So, first off, who is Zimmerman? Right? Like, that's, he sends the note, but who is he? Well, Arthur Zimmerman at the time of the letter, is the German foreign secretary. This incident essentially ruins his career. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> he says like he says things like, uh, you know, I thought it was a secure channel that I was sending it across. I didn't think anyone could find it or decrypt it. But, but Brit- the British intelligence had been decrypting Germany's notes forever, like since the war began. Nothing was hidden that the Germans were doing. They just had such overwhelming power that they, it didn't matter. So he, uh, like I said, that ruins him. He resigns in August of 1917. So it's a couple months later he resigns. Uh, and he dies in 1940 of pneumonia. And that's the end of Arthur Zimmerman. Right. Now, how did Japan feel about this? Glad you asked. They were already at war with Germany at the time. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so Japan's like, we're not going to switch sides. <laughs> when I tell you I know three things about World War One, it's true. <laughs> now you know four things or five things, depending on what you get from this. Anyway, so Japan's like, uh-uh. Like they were, they were making uh, lots of movement into China and everything. Like Japan wasn't, they were keeping the, 
Pacific Ocean kind of free of German ships, but it wasn't out of like, oh, we really like Britain and France or we really like America. It's more of just kind of their own stay out of our territory kind of thing. And Germany is like, well, we want to take over the world, so we want to be everywhere. So, so Japan was really just at war with, they were just kind of fighting for themselves. But again, they were already fighting Germany. So they're like, why? Why would I go fight the United States? Did you see that Japan just like discovered about 7,000 islands they didn't know they had? <laughs> I mean, it's not surprising. There's... It sure is, though. Can you imagine <laughs> a country not knowing they have 7,000 islands? Can you imagine the country being like, I'm willing to sell 7,000 islands to the highest bidders? <laughs> Who wants their own island? <laughs> anyway, so finally, what about Mexico? How did Mexico react and respond to this whole thing? Were they going to do it? Eh, maybe. This wasn't the first time Germany tried <laughs> to get Mexico to declare war on the United States. The Germans had previously helped arm Mexico during the 1914. Here's one of those, maybe mess up a name. I believe it's Paranga. It starts with a Y, but it's a YP. I don't think you pronounce the Y. The Paranga incident. That's during the Mexican Civil War, which I said is going on. During that, a the Paranga is a German ship, and it goes and delivers munitions to the side that they want to win uh, the Mexican Civil War. Because that guy doesn't like the United States. Go figure. So that's in 1914. That's like right when World War I is starting. Go ahead. This may be a stupid... It's a, definitely a stupid question. Okay, go ahead. When was the Alamo... Oh, like I exactly? I have no idea. Is it in this time period? Don't think so. That was the Spanish American or the Mexican American War. Was so that it? was like eighteen, yeah, eighteen forty, I think, or something like that. Not World War One. <laughs> no. Oh, Davy Crockett and Tom Jones, not Tom Jones. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Defending the Alamo. No, I think it's like in the eighteen forty. I think it's before the Civil War, the United States Civil War. Really? I think so. Oh shit. So, anyway, you could, yeah, you could just Google it if you want. Uh, You're correct, but I'm in the middle of a podcast. So, in 1915, so a year later, a German naval officer, Franz von <laughs> Rintelen, good old Franz, he tries to, pay, tries to pay Victoriano Huerta, that's the Mexican president before he gets overthrown, uh, he tries to pay him $12 million to declare war on the United States. That was the end of the information about it this guy said 12 million bucks <laughs> will that do it what if i just write you a check will you if i just write you a check will you declare war and he's like uh -huh. and the president said no that's spanish for no so two years later <laughs> so 1917 uh they send a letter they sent the letter which would they so two years later is when they send the zimmerman letter Zimmerman telegram because they know that now Huerta is no longer in power Carranza is and he likes Germany he's a big fan so they thought well maybe he'll do it but Carranza assigns a military commission to assess the feasibility of Me the Mexican takeover of their former territories contemplated by Germany so he goes maybe we can do it like in the time between the british giving the note to the united states so between february 1st and february 24th like the mexican president's kind of like maybe we can let's 
Let's figure it out. But remember, he's in the middle of a civil war, too. He goes, maybe we can do it. Let's see what we can do. And so he assigns all these people, generals and stuff, to be like, he's like, give me a feasibility report. It's like the same way, like a, like the mayor or like a, like a project manager might be like, what's the feasibility study of this, <laughs> of this plan? So that's exactly what it does. As I said, Mexico's in the middle of a civil war, and Carranza's position was far from secure. Remember, this is 1917. Uh, he is later assassinated in 1920, so his position was very insecure. Uh, Wait, picking who's a f- this? Say this one more time. Hmm? Who is this person? The president of Mexico. Okay. Right. Current president of Mexico after he overthrew Huerta. Right. Carranza. Okay. So he says picking a fight with the United States would have prompted the U.S. to support one of his rivals. So one of the other people that he's in this civil war with. So he's already like, that's bad. The United States was far stronger militarily than Mexico was. Duh. (laughs) Even if Mexico's military forces had been completely united and loyal to a single regime, no serious scenario existed under which it could have invaded and won a war against the United States. Yeah, because it's 98% of our budget. Indeed. Much of Mexico's military hardware of 1917 reflected only modest upgrades since the Mexican-American War 70 years before. Sticks. Yeah. That's before the American Civil War. They're using weapons from 1840. (laughs) It's 1917. There's tanks. (laughs) Can you imagine? Throwing rocks at tanks. Oh, man. The German government promises of generous financial support were very unreliable. It had already informed Carranza in June of 1916, so less than a year earlier, about six months earlier, really, that it couldn't provide the necessary gold deal to stock a completely independent Mexican national bank. So Germany's like, we'll give you money. And Mexico's like, will you? Because you already (laughs) said you couldn't. Even if Mexico received financial support, it would still need to purchase arms, ammunition, and other needed war supplies from the ABC nations. That's Argentina, Brazil, and Chile, which would strain relations with them. Okay. Even if by some chance Mexico had the military means to win a conflict against the United States and to reclaim the territories in question, again, we're talking Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. Think of how big those states are. Pretty big, Bob. It would have had severe difficulty conquering and pacifying a large English-speaking population which had long enjoyed self-government and was better supplied with arms than were most other civilian populations. They have a lot of guns in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) They had a lot of guns in Texas in 1917. Still true to this day. So that's kind of the end of my... That's the end of my story about the Zimmerman letter, the Zimmerman telegram. I thought like that was one of those things that I read something about it recently, and, uh, well, February 24th, probably, I, I think that was when I actually read, the, like, a Today in History thing about it, and I was like, oh, cool, I, like, I had forgotten about it, I forgot it existed, but it's one of those things that I've always heard about and then never dug into. I always just thought, like, to me, it was always the wildest thing of Germany's like, hey, what if we got Mexico to declare one in the United States, and I'm like, Mexico, what are they going to do? <laughs> It always reminds me of my history professor in college. He uh, he talked about, you know, absolute vodka. I might have told you this story before. Uh, yes, I do, but no, you have it. Uh, so they ran a campaign in the United States for a little while. I can't remember when. Maybe around 
maybe it was around the time that I was taking this class. So it would have been like 2011, somewhere in there. But they ran a campaign in the United States that said, like their their slogan or whatever for that, whatever, a couple years of marketing was, you know how Coors is like, as cold as Iraqis, right? Like their thing was in an absolute world. And what they did was, when they were marketing in the southern United States, they were marketing, they said, in an absolute world, and they would put up on billboards, and it was a picture of the United States, but Mexico owning Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. And it said, in an absolute world. Yeah. Americans didn't like that. I would imagine. <laughs> Especially those Americans. Right. So um, they had to stop that, and they took all those billboards down. But I, I like, <laughs> always sticks out to me when I... When I was reading about this, and I was like, oh, man, that reminds me of that. Dr. Danielson, Montana Tech. That guy was great. Favorite history teacher I've ever had. I wish, we had talked about this before, but I wish that I had, like, paid more attention or, like, cared more the entire time I was in school. Because <laughs> <laughs> now I'm actually interested in shit that I was like, oh, I don't care. Right. That's because history's repeating itself, and those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it that whole thing also it's just interesting it is super interesting that's why i'm glad we do this podcast yeah it gives me a reason to go out and investigate stuff that i find interesting same so that's my story i know there was there was a lot of background but i think i feel like it was important to like lay out why the united states was so immediately angry when germany started shooting at civilian boats again and Yeah. yeah i know i've like heard obviously of the Geneva Convention. Is it called the Geneva Accords? Is that what I'm thinking of? Uh, no, the original one was the G- Geneva Convention. Then there was these uh, the conventions with Russia. There's two of them, and then they went back to doing, I think they call them the G2 summits now. Huh. I think those are still in Geneva. They still have those kind of things. Because there was like the, I don't think it was conventions, but I think the G2 summit was where Churchill, FDR, and Stalin all met up during World War II. You've seen that famous picture of those three sitting next to each other. I think that's a G2 summit. I just thought it was interesting. So one of the the Accords thing. Uh, I don't know. I've heard that before. Toyota? No, No. Honda. Honda Accord. No. (laughs) Um. The. What I thought what I thought was interesting was all the countries signed off. So those rules I, I read off to you about like don't hurt prisoners of war, don't shoot at merchant ships, don't do any of that stuff. All the major powers signed off on it except for China. <laughs> China's like, no. <laughs> so that's uh yeah. That's the Zimmerman telegram. Well. If you ever hear it mentioned pretty interesting stuff pretty crazy like if it had gone through if if mexico had been in a better position could have caused some real damage to the united states but there are cannons and musket fire well that's the kind of thing like (laughs) and this is something interesting to think about is like and this is why the bombardment of elwood go back and listen to that episode if you haven't about when japan attacked the mainland united states i think why it's so interesting to me is that we fight wars, and by we, I mean the United States fights wars that aren't on its own territory. Have we? Ever, I mean, we've fought the Civil War, Revolutionary War, War of 1812 on our own territory, Mexican-American War, some of the Spanish-American War, but like nothing really modern has taken place 
on our land. Like we don't have like there's the you know the movie uh, Red Dawn. You ever heard of it? I mean, I've heard of it. I've never seen it. I've, I haven't seen it either, but I know it's about, like, I think either Russian communists or Chinese communists are both landing in, like, Colorado and, like, open war taking place in Colorado and, like, mainland United States. Something we've never experienced. Like, the, the, the United States hasn't really experienced that. It's very interesting to me. I mean, 9-11 to an extent. Sure. I mean, that's, like, they've they've had attacks, we, but we, not, yeah. like, we've haven't. We, I've never had the, the idea of like you know in Britain, and France and Germany in World War Two, like you could open up your front door and have troops outside. We don't have that. Like that's yeah. We've never had to deal with that here during any of the wars, except for like any modern wars, I should say. Right. Like Iraq and Afghanistan never landed troops on the California coast, and we're like, here we go. Like, <laughs> like that was never happening. Well. Our main two people that could do it are Canada and Mexico. And they'll never do it. But, like, it could have before 9-11. I, like, now this place is so locked down and they've got so much, like, surveillance and bullshit going on. That, yeah. Like, It'd be tough. It'd be real tough. Yeah. I don't want to say it'll never happen. Cause right. I mean, hey, we had balloons flying over the United States. Just <laughs> A lot of them. And they were like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> Uh, go back and listen to our episode about the Roswell incident. You can find all about balloons. And <laughs> It's not the first time balloons have been floating over parts of the United States. <laughs> Those were our own balloons, though, to be fair. Jesus Christ. I'm just going to plug all these episodes that people should go back and listen to. <laughs> okay, I've had... I think that's enough. I think we can probably call it good. Okay. Do you have anything... Any final notes? Uh, Sorry, I sound like I got the suds. I got the suds. That's fine. Sound okay. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it, like, getting warmer. Yeah, me too. We're sitting in our, I mean, I, I, I would say our podcast studio, but really it's just like an extra room in our house, but Alex has got some plants set up in front of us that she's she's starting her spring garden, which we got a late start on last year, so I know yeah. you're really excited about getting an actual start on it. Yeah, we got sprouts. Sprouts. And that amaryllis plant thing on the kitchen counters getting amazing yep he's looking good okay i can't breathe I gotta go hey okay let's uh let's call it good okay thanks for listening everyone uh once again go like and subscribe to every go like every video on youtube and make sure you subscribe to our youtube channel and we're awesome. on instagram and facebook yeah instagram and facebook too you can also leave us comments there i think youtube's probably the easiest one to leave us comments on though so just yeah drop them there if you got any comments questions concerns all right, All that's right. it. I love you. Bye. I love you.